This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And good afternoon and welcome to the show. I am your host, Todd C. Slater, and you are listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010. So it's been an interesting week in the news. But if I go backwards to last week, if you remember the stock market roller coaster, how are you feeling this week? Felt like it stabilized a little. But the one indicator that actually has something to do with real estate is the fact that the U.S. Fed decided to stay even on the interest rates. In fact, they didn't move them up. They're not moving them down. They're doing a wait-see program here right now, folks. And I think that's a good thing. Because we always look south of the border looking to figure out, you know, where are our interest rates going to go? And last week, we were expecting that the Bank of Canada was going to lower the rate, Uh, you know, not by a big percentage, but we thought we were going to have an adjustment and they decided to wait for the federal budget to come in. So we're sitting all hanging on the edge of our seats thinking about where our mortgage rates going to go. Well, if you remember, I've been talking about the main thing that I think is the best interest rate you should be looking at, and that is a variable rate. Again, long-term variable rates have always proven to be the best route to go. And I'm going to stand pat on that one because I do believe the Bank of Canada is going to lower the rate this year. And if you're on a variable, you benefit. And of course, we know that the major banks decide to throw a little extra profit their way by increasing the rates a little. And when you start hitting that 3% mark, it wasn't necessary. But as I've said previously, you know what? I still think they want to see if they can stretch a few more bucks into their pockets. But this week, CMHC decided to release a report on the outlook for the Canadian real estate market. And here's what we know for sure. There is one market, the one that everybody thought was just going to implode is not. In fact, if you remember, for the last year and a half, I've been talking about supply and demand and Vancouver continues to be the leader in the real estate market and will continue on. And one of the main reasons why is because building permits, there has not been a lot of them issued. Why? Because they don't have the ground to build it on. So this is one of the things. Remember, real estate is always based on supply and demand. And when you have the demand and the lack of supply, what happens to your price? Goes up. Now, of course, they've flagged the prairies and Alberta as being one of the biggest concerns. And I definitely feel sorry for those people that have been struggling with the oil economy and then they start thinking about losing their homes. Now, the thing is about CMHC's report was it wasn't telling us exactly that we're going to fall apart in pricing. What they're saying is the volume's going to be down. In fact, it started a downward trend last year when oil decided to tank. And so we continue to watch that market and we're going to watch it very carefully here on this show because one of the things it will do is it will tax our economy. Now, if we, you know, start looking close to home and this is the one that of course, all of our listeners in Southern Ontario are going to, you know, be more concerned about is what are they saying about our own backyard? Well, here's one thing that we know for sure. And if you've been listening to me for the last few years, I've been saying this for a very, very long time. And I'm finally glad that people like CMHC have hopped on the Simply Real Estate bandwagon to understand what we should, we are looking at truly here in Toronto. We have a split economy, split market. That market is the fact that we've got a supply and demand level on detached residential homes right now. Folks, we have a lack of supply because there's just not that many coming into the market. 
And of course, we've got a huge pent up demand still. So we know that our marketplace is going to stay strong and stable in that. But hey, wait a minute. Where's the warning flag coming up? Of course, condominiums. We've been talking about this for a long time. Is the potential of oversupply coming down? Well, here's the thing. With the amount of building uh, uh, permits that were released and now the construction happening, they're starting to flag this stuff. They're starting to say, hey, folks, we might have an oversupply. So it's going to depend on the aggressiveness of the builders if they're able to sell their product prior to construction if they still have leftover when they do a completion of their building. So when they actually get the building registered, do they still have units to sell? When you start seeing that happen, this is where inventory can start creeping up and we can start looking at a problem of oversupply. Now, why do we have so many condos being built? Well, I would say part of it is the greedy government because they're willing to issue all these building permits. They're getting all the levies. They're getting all the taxes. And it makes sense. Now, for the the developers out there, I understand, you're in the business to make money, and yes, it's a good thing. And we're making one heck of a city. I mean, we're world-renowned now. You know, we are an incredible city. But should have we limited the number of building permits to a, to a lower number and spread it out over a longer period of time? That's kind of what you could look at in Vancouver. It's not because they did it on purpose. They do it because there is no land to develop on. And so now they're doing only infill sites, meaning they have to build on top of old existing sites. Heck, some of the buildings they're buying, you know, they're buying up, they're turning around, tearing down a 20-story building so they can put a 50-story building up. But if we take a look at Toronto, you know, we're filling in a lot of the land in around the waterfront. You know, I just heard recently that, of course, the Harbour Castle is going to be going up for sale. And, you know, they're trying to target how much money is going to be there. And then the redevelopment of the convention centre. This is all potential, folks. It hasn't happened yet. But can you imagine the amount of money that's going to sell for on the waterfront? Can you imagine the renovation? And plus, they're saying that they could put on two more towers there. So what's going to happen to the waterfront? It's going to get built up. Of course. Pre, I call it premier real estate, prime land for development. It's going to definitely be developed. But how many, how many more properties can go up? How many more units? We're looking at thousands and who is going to live in them? So the biggest thing for investors right now is where should they go? Well, this is the thing. For us in real estate, you know, a lot of times we've been talking location, location, location. And right now the downtown core has been growing for the last 10 years solid We've had an incredible run. As we know, we peaked out in 2015 as being the record number of units and price being sold in real estate. It was a wonderful year. Hey, by the way, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Simply Real Estate, and I'm your host, Todd C. Slater, and I'm talking about what's happening in the marketplace right now. CMHC released a report this week, and they're telling us, hey, there's a couple of markets we've got to be leery of. One of them, of course, is the prairie market, looking in Alberta. And then, of course, we're looking at the Vancouver market where everybody thought the bubble would burst, but they're saying it is the least volatile market, despite the fact that it's got record sales. Increases last year up to 20%. Wow, that's crazy. But at the same time, we have to look at the product that we're dealing with. We're looking at something that you just can't buy. You know, if you had something so rare like gems and there's only so many in the world, then you're going to want it and everybody's going to want it. And if your friend has it, why can't you have it? Well, you paid more than your friend. That's okay because your, net, your other friend's going to pay more than you. And this is the idea of the Vancouver real estate. Let's get off the, 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 the wagon horse about, you know, oh, it's just Asian buyers. Because you know what? 
They've taken a look at the numbers and it's not true. It's just buyers in general. And with our low Canadian dollar, you don't think this is going to attract more foreign buyers? Of course it is. In fact, people coming out of the United States, are, you know, they're looking at Vancouver now saying, hey, why wouldn't I want a ski chalet in, you know, let's say the interior of BC or up in Whistler? Why wouldn't I buy it? Because I'm only having to pay 68 cents on the dollar. And at the same time, when I buy tow tickets, it's even cheaper for me. So when you take a look at the conversion rate, our current status in the world is the fact that we've got the low Canadian dollar, we've got attractive real estate. And by the way, when you take a look at the West Coast, it's absolutely beautiful. Why would not people coming from another country want to buy there? And then, of course, when we talk about Toronto, looking at the big picture, are the developers overdeveloping? Have we released too many building permits? Now, the one thing about a building permit is when it's released, it doesn't mean that they're digging right there, right then. Okay, a lot of these builders have to delay. They have to get their financing lined up. This is why we see a lot of these pre-market sales. They'll put up a sales center and then you go there and you buy the proposed unit that might be finished in the next three to eight years. Now, the reason why they do the pre-sale is because now they're establishing their financing. So what has happened? All these builders put in, asked for permits years ago. Now they're finally starting to build. Now they're coming to, to fruition. So is this going to create the, the oversupply in our marketplace? We've been keeping a watchful eye on it. And this is one of those things, folks, I'm going to keep you up to date on because as soon as we start seeing the market absorb less than what we're building and producing, then we're going to get an oversupply. Right now, we have about a supply of anywhere from about two to four months of supply, which means that if you stopped building today, the current marketplace, the inventory that's sitting there, if everybody continued to buy the way they are currently consuming it, you would run out of supply in the next two to three to four months. Okay. At one point in the Toronto residential marketplace, you had a market supply of negative, meaning that the property was virtually sold before it came onto the market because you had 70 buyers looking for it. We knew that's true because last year we saw so many of these multiple offers coming in. It was crazy. So when that happens, you know that you're undersupplied. So the demand outweighs the supply. Right now, the condominium market is going to be flagged this year. This is the one that we're looking for. Okay. This is one we're going to keep our eye on. I'm going to keep you up to date. So make sure every single week you tune in here to News Talk 1010, Simply Real Estate, 4 p.m. That's me, your host, Todd C. Slater. Hey, by the way, I've got a great guest that's joining me today. He's going to be joining me up after the next break. And, you know, this guest is going to introduce us to probably one of the biggest industries in Toronto. In fact, it generates about $12.6 billion. It's actually bigger than the auto sector. And can you believe it? They employ more than 98,000 people. And on top of that, we also have a complete underground economy that's establishing over $5 billion in income. Can you imagine an underground economy of $5 billion? I'm sure the CRAs just peaked up on this, or hopefully they're working on it right now, because this is one of those things. This is an industry that affects every single one of us. And coming up after the break, I'm going to let you wait until I introduce him and tell you what this industry is. But you know what? It's something you're going to want to listen to. So stay with me. We'll be right back after the break, and we're going to talk about one of the biggest industries in Canada and one that should be a concern of yours. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. 
Now back to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Just before the break, I was giving you the teaser of a huge, huge industry. And you know what? We are very fortunate to have in the studio today a very special guest, John Carlo Silfidis. He's the chair of Build Renovator Council. Also, he is the president of Fairside Homes and Renovation. And John Carlo, thanks so much for joining us today. The pleasure is mine, Todd. Thank you. We've been doing a huge tease on the fact that we're talking about a massive industry and you and I are going to actually get really in depth with it. Just so we know, who is BUILD and what do they do? BUILD is the industry association of home builders, renovators. We have a number of different members, including surveyors, financial professionals, sub-trades, and we all come together to represent the industry to the three levels of government and to the consumer. Some of the numbers you gave me, and this is what I was using as a tease, you know, $12.6 billion. I mean, that's massive. It really is. We're, we're the largest industry by far in the country, and that's what people don't realize. The renovation industry is now larger than the new home building industry. We're larger than the auto industry. One of the challenges of our industry is it's fragmented. There are many participants in the industry, so our voice isn't as strong as it could be. And that's what we're working on at Build, is we're trying to bring together all the different segments of renovation and represent our concerns to the three levels of government and for consumers to have a one-stop shop for the renovations. Again, going back to the amount of people employed in the renovation industry um, sitting at 98,000, not only is that just a massive, massive number, but if we back it up and then say, okay, but there's also a black market of $5 billion, those 98,000 aren't represented in that $5 billion of off-market, is it? No, it's not. And you're correct. According to the government's own estimates, the underground economy, they estimate it right now at about $5.2 billion dollars. And they're saying, you know, there's foregone tax revenue of about $1.6 billion, and then other revenue like contributions to WSIB and health insurance of another nearly $800 million. So it's significant. I understand people, you know, that they think they're getting a deal, but this underground economy is so massive in this particular industry. The government is now looking at it and this could be a huge cash cow if they were able to get people like yourselves regulated into the industry to make sure that everything's being controlled properly, is that what you're looking for? Let's look at why the underground economy is as big as it is. And it speaks to taxation. Are the levels of taxation so high that the consumer themselves are the ones prompting the underground economy? And to some extent, it's true. Because if someone comes along and says, look, this is the price, and it includes 13% HST, and then someone comes along and says, oh, I'll do it. No problem. I'll no tax. Cash. And guess what? You know, I know you're in a hurry for it. Uh, we don't need building permits. And therein lies the problem. So I think the government needs to step back and look at how this industry is operating. Is the tax burden too high? Is the regulatory burden too high? I mean, you mentioned building permits in your earlier segment. One of the challenges we're having is the timely issuance of building permits. If it's a question of supply and demand, don't you think it would behoove the government to increase the supply to help regulate the price a bit? And the way to do that at the municipal level is let's have predictability when we're dealing with the municipal government as to when we can expect building permits. You know, a lot of what people are now doing, and we had a pretty thorough discussion there about supply and demand and properties. And we know in, you know, the Vancouver area, a lot of the properties, obviously, when they're buying them, they're now either doing renovations, putting up new houses, or for that matter, they're doing mass additions, right? And in Toronto, you know, we feel a lot of that because we've got a lot of the aged homes that people are still spending a million dollars on, but they'll do a $500,000 renovation. A good source that's driving your industry right now is the mass renovation 
of the turnovers of those baby boomers. Yes, absolutely. And that speaks to the housing stock of this city. You're talking about a housing stock that's in desperate need of renewal. A lot of homes are 60 to 70 years old. They were post-World War II homes or post-World War I homes or even the condos that were built in the 80s. It's time for renewal. And that's what's driving this industry. And people are looking what's happening to the price of real estate and deciding, I think I'll stay in my own home and renovate because I'll get what I want and I'll get a better bang for my buck. One of the things that I always encourage people here actually on Simply Real Estate is not to buy the shiny penny. I actually tell them, buy the fixer-upper because, you know, we've got a lot of these people out there and they're saying, hey, listen, I can't afford this. You know, what I can afford, I don't necessarily like. Like I struggle because it's got bad carpet, bad kitchen, all this. But yet that bodes well for the person that's thinking long-term, increasing their equity, doing the right part. And renovations, you know, um, you know, for those of you tuning in, as you know, um, I, I, I've been a contractor in real estate uh, combined over 30 years now. And for me, I always tell people I would rather buy something run down and build the equity into it with renovations. And I think that's a really strong story for your industry right now. I couldn't agree more, Todd. I think at the end of the day, uh, there is value there, but you have to be willing to take on that kind of project. That's where the sweat equity comes in. Though you may not be doing the work yourself, you have to be able to withstand the dust and all the other aspects you involved. Have have you have to have the patience. <laughs> yeah. you know, and you have to recognize that when you're dealing with a contractor, it's as much of an art as it is a science. Your contractor is your partner. He or she is your partner in realizing your vision for your property. And that's a key point. You hear of all the horror stories and renovations. Yep. We're going to go to a break, but folks, we've got one of the authorities here with us right now, John Carlo Sofitas. He's from Build Renovator. Stay with us because he just touched on something that we we're going to get into on the next section. So listen, stay with us. We'll be right back with our great guest. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Now back to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Just before the break, we were talking about a multi-billion dollar industry, a huge underground and a massive employer right here in Toronto. What is that industry? Well, it's renovations. And of course, my guest joining me is John Carlos Silfidis, and he is Build Renovator Council. He's the chair, and he is also the owner and president of Fairside Homes and Renovations. Thank you so much for joining us today, John Carlo. You know, a little bit uh, earlier, you and I were discussing the sheer volume of the industry and the dollar value is absolutely staggering at this over is 12 billion. Industry. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. Bigger than the auto industry. We're bigger than the auto industry. And you alluded to the 98,000 jobs that we create just in the GTA, and that's equivalent to $5.4 billion in wages. Going back to our first year economics course, I mean, there's a multiplier effect on that. When people are working and making money, that stimulates the economy and it's good for everybody. Homes eventually have to be renovated, okay? You cannot make something that's going to last your entire lifespan. You know, we've got all sorts of parts of the industry. Just before we went to break, you were about to allude to, you know, talking about contractors partnering with them. Of course, there are those people that are do-it-yourselfers and half the time they get themselves into trouble and then they call panic. They've opened up their own roof and all of a sudden they can't get it closed. <laughs> yes, we've, you know, seen that. we've seen that a million <laughs> times. We're going to get into some horror stories, but I think what I'd like to talk to you about is actually maybe a little bit of a checklist. People need to hire the real pros. When we talk about real estate, I always tell people, hire a full-time real estate agent. If you're going to go with somebody, you go with somebody that spends their life doing it. It's in their blood. They do it time. You can track them down. They've been in the industry for a long, long time. 
in renovations, the one thing I learned, if somebody's been in the industry for a long time, solid name, follows the rules, you probably have the right people to work with. What should people be looking for in a contractor? That's a great question, but let's take one step back and let's talk about before they start a renovation, what should people think of? That will lead them to the right questions for what they want to look for in a contractor. We've laid out five steps to successful renovation, and it's pretty commonsensical. You know, as they say, it's common simple, sense. Right? It's, it's, it's simple, It's simple, that's okay. right. And common sense isn't too common. <laughs> when you first start, plan your project carefully. Ask yourself, why are you renovating? Are you renovating to increase the value of your house? Is going on the market? Are you renovating for increased energy efficiency? Uh, or is it utility? Do you just want a new kitchen because you're tired of your old one? Sure. So it's that kind of thing. What's your budget? Make sure you have a realistic budget. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, hang on, (laughs) hang on. I'm going to call, hang on. People don't understand sometimes what it takes in renovation. So if you have a budget, and some contractors are good at changing budgets for you too. So I appreciate your (laughs) fact that you say have a budget. So how do people actually figure out a budget even prior to it? I mean, do they just say, listen, I've got this much available money. Uh, Well, it's one of two ways. It's basically that. It comes down to what's available and how much you're willing to spend. If you only have $50,000, you know, and you want to do a brand new kitchen and three brand new bathrooms, I don't think that's going to cut it, right? So I think you've got to be realistic. But even with respect to budget, don't overspend for the area. See, I love love that. Okay, and sorry, to tie in real estate, I love that because there are those people that over-improve a property and then they've gone so far that they're not going to get the money out. Unless you want to do it for your own enjoyment. That's the only caveat there. And that comes to home ownership for a long time. Yes. It depends on your holding period. Sure. I think your budget will determine by how long you want to be in this house. Why are you renovating? And then, you know, start considering questions like, should I make a contingency? Of course. You should always add 10% to whatever budget you come up with, if not more. I always tell people 20, by the way. You won't get disagreement from me there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then ask yourself questions. Do I need a permit? And what other services will I need? Will I need a structural engineer? Do I need an architect? Do I need a surveyor? There's all kinds of questions. So that's the first thing. Do your homework. Plan your renovation carefully. And with respect to permits, it's a complicated process these days. I mean, as you know, Todd, it's a bit of a challenge getting permits, and there's a whole host of considerations that go into what would appear to be a simple renovation. To touch on that, you know, one of the things I think people also struggle with is the timeline aspect of things. You know, when you talk about permits, you're bang on, and especially here in Toronto, but basically anywhere in Canada, you don't show up at the office, get a permit that day, walk out, and you're good. <laughs> I mean, if it's so minor that, yeah, they just have to stamp a piece of paper, okay, but when it actually has to have something that could have an inspection, then a completely different ballgame. But I think for a lot of people, they don't realize how long a renovation can take. And when a contractor gives a timeline, you need to add to it because there can be delays that are unforeseen. Yes. And to be fair, a lot of the delays are on the part of our clients, on the consumer. Sure. So they change things in midstream. Exactly. And there's lots of changes made. And, you know, I would be a multimillionaire if I had a dime for every time someone told me, no, there's no changes. We know what we want. But we chuckle at that and we expect sure. changes. But, you know, there are other delays. Like when we tell the clients, okay, I need tile selections by such and such a date or faucets or paint colors. And then they go and choose tiles that are going to be six weeks on the boat because they're coming from Italy. You know, these are the unforeseen delays that really you can't fault anyone. No. And that's, that's the thing. It's, it's that expectation that gets set 
the one thing I've always told people that if you're going to do a, a renovation, first of all, it's the one of the hardest things on a marriage. Yes, it is. You know, it, yeah, it does. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 it really is. It's one of the hardest things. Any major renovation that a couple go through, it's very taxing because their lifestyle is completely altered. And this is what people I think need to do is put a contingency plan in place. Is there some place you can stay? Because, you know, as you said, you go in to do a kitchen and three bathrooms and for a contractor to work efficiencies, it makes more sense for him to tile all of them at once than say, okay, I'll do this bathroom this week, this bathroom next week, this bathroom the following week. So everybody's going to have a bathroom to use. That's ludicrous. Okay. There's always timing of things. And if you want to keep things efficient. So I think a lot of people need to realize Time and kind of an alternate living style needs to be arranged. Yes, and that depends on the scope of the renovation. And we've done, as I'm sure you have in your time, we've done renovations where the clients actually live through them. They're living in the house. Yes, I know. And, and you know, that miserable. Makes it, that makes it challenging. <laughs> that really taxes your skills as uh, as a mediator. I can remember, you know, a few clients just absolutely screaming, "I can't live like this anymore!" <laughs> and you're looking, saying, "Then you shouldn't have changed what you wanted." <laughs> I think you've been there. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, many a times. Plan the renovation. We said plan it carefully. And then the sure. second step is hire a professional. As you said, you know, when you're dealing with anything, you want to hire a professional. You're not going to go to a part-time dentist, right? <laughs> you're going to go to a professional. This is one of the biggest expenditures they'll make in their life. They have doubts about hiring a professional because someone comes along and says, oh, I could do it cheaper if you pay me in cash. So hire a professional. Why? Because they understand the requirements. We know when permits are required, what types of permits will be required, what other services we will need in terms of planners or engineers or things like that. We provide written contracts. We put it all out there. Everyone's on the same page. That's critical. It's managing expectations. And when yep. everyone has the same expectations, projects go pretty well. Yep. So that's the second step is hire a professional. As a corollary to that, get it in writing. Yeah, I was just going to say. so critical. The uh, Canadian Home Builders Association has an entire website and pamphlet that's supported by the federal government of the necessity and importance of getting stuff in writing. And right? speaking of writing, we're going to go to a quick break. But when we come back, again, my guest, John Carlos Sofitas, is here from Build Renovator. He is the chair. And we've got lots more to talk about. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. So you know what? It's been really interesting so far. We have been talking with John Carlos Sofitas. He is from Build Renovator. He's the chair there. And we're talking about renovations and what people should be lining up. And just to kind of recap, we were just talking about, we need to get things in writing. I think that this is probably one of the biggest things that people should do. Can you kind of extrapolate with that? You know, from your own experiences, thought, how do people choose a renovator? Oh, it's a friend of a friend or it's a family member. I heard about this person. Yeah, I heard about this person. So it's done on trust or a handshake. And then what happens when things go wrong? And invariably, there will be a misalignment of expectations between the consumer and the renovator. So how do you handle that? If things aren't in writing, if the project isn't laid out clearly, if change orders aren't dealt with clearly, what happens? This is just a recipe for ill will and ill feeling, right? And then that's how you get the horror stories of the renovation that's gone awry. And and sure. we've all heard them. As you pointed out, detail is very important. So when somebody turns around and if it just says on the thing, renovate bathroom, 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, everybody's got a different level of renovation. That's right. So outlining specifically, what level of tile, what kind of finishings, yeah. what are you using for faucets? What do you, like if we're talking specifically for something sure. like this, every area that you're renovating should be outlined. So if you're going to be putting a new hardwood in a living room, then explain what you're doing with the old flooring. Who's ripping out the old flooring? Who's removing it? The bigger the contract, the more spelled out it is, the better chance you have of success. Correct. I agree. I think the more detail and the more that's pinned down and not left to the gray areas, the better for everyone. Everyone has a clear understanding. And then as well, you know, the contract will also provide the warranty. What's the warranty on this? Sure. Excellent. Because you can't say, uh, well, you know, my faucet isn't working and it's six years later. If the contractor says you got a two-year warranty, and we'll come back and replace whatever goes wrong. Within that time period. Yeah. Sure. So Excellent. get that spelled out. Yep. So, you know, getting it in writing is critical. But then I think the next step is check on the progress. Communicate with your contractor. As I said before, your contractor is your partner in realizing your vision for your place. This is where you want to try to avoid an us and them mentality. So when things start to get a little <laughs> tense, right, when changes are made and the timing has dragged on a bit long, you know, this is where people start to get frayed feelings. So sure. Communicate with a contractor, keep the lines of communication open at all times. And that goes as much for the contractor as it does for the client. Again, you're working together here. It's almost like a marriage. of <laughs> <sorts, right? laughs> Communication is the key. Those are the five essential steps to what I think would be a successful renovation. So here we are, we've set out basically the parameter. We got to make sure we've got everything in writing. Make sure you've done your homework. As I've said, watch your timeline Also, keeping in mind that you're going to have some extras and it's not the fault necessarily of the contractor, but it can be the fault of the actual consumer because all of a sudden they want the nicer cabinet. They want this, they want that, or they're in the middle of seeing something and they want to change something. And that happens all the time. You and I both know that, you know, when you start opening up a place, all of a sudden, hey, we just had this great idea. We talked about it after the contractor left today and we want to do it. That happens all the time. But... Here's one thing that I think that I'd really like our listeners to start understanding is the money aspect of it. Because how much do you give up front as a deposit? How should you do a pay scale? What do you do for holdbacks? What is reasonable when dealing with professionals? What should people anticipate? Because again, the people that talk about cash, and you and I are going to talk about that in a minute. When we talk about cash, it's pretty scary because normally they hit you up for a lot of cash out of the gate. And that's the first red flag. What should people doing for pay scales? Well, again, it depends on the size of the project. So if you're doing a $20,000 bathroom reno as opposed to a $600,000 addition, that's going to be slightly different. I mean, at the end of the day, the um, renovator wants to see commitment on the part of the client and the client wants to make sure that, you know, with the deposit, they know they're going to have the person lined up and the work done professionally. Again, that depends on the size, a token deposit. As a sign of goodwill is yep. not out of the question. And then you could stagger the payments. Again, it depends on the size of the project. Of so, for example, for a larger job, you could say when the framing is done and the roof is shingled and right. the windows are in, I expect one third. So when you do all your sub trades and the drywalls in, there's the other third. Yep. And then pay me the balance, less the holdback upon completion. When we talk about holdback, just for clarity for our listeners, okay, the idea of the holdback, folks, is the fact that when you're doing a project, the day they finish, you just don't pay off the bill. Because normally you've got to do some investigation. You have to make sure any other sub trade's been paid, any supplier. The idea of a holdback is so you do not have a lien put on your property and the contractor is gone in some instances, or for that matter, if there's some finishing touch that need to be done. 
Most contractors, the professional ones, understand a holdback, okay? They'll actually tell you, we'll allow a 30-day holdback. In most cases, that's typically about 10% of the contract, maybe 15 to 20. Correct. Okay. Again, it depends on the size of the job, but it's for 10 to 20% is, is right. It's pretty average. Yeah. And then at that point, once you've inspected everything, you get all the quirks out, because again, Keeping in mind, and, and, and as John Carlo has said, the size of the project really does matter here because when, the bigger this project, the more little things that can be found at a later date. Correct. When we talk about it, I have always said to people in most cases, you know, 20% down is normally a significant enough if you're dealing with, let's say, under $50,000. So if you're going to be doing a kitchen renovation, for instance, a 20% deposit, just so they know, okay, we're being serious. When you've installed XXX, we'll give you another 20 and another 10 and then hold back. Whatever, However the structure is, uh, that pretty that's much makes right. sense. Yeah, that's about right. And again, you know, different companies have their own different requirements, sure. but, you know, they have to align their expectations with those of their client. Perfect. You know, I mean, everyone has to be comfortable. The down payment, the deposit shouldn't be a source of contention. It should just be a source of, a, hey, we're both in this. This is my sign of goodwill to you. Let's talk about Associate X that we're both acquainted with. He made that tragic error. Somebody that really didn't give him much in writing, very, very sketchy as far as the writing aspect of it, went to cash. He was having the stairs redone and a new railing put in. And the idea here was that he was going to have this renovation done, but he virtually fronted almost the entire cost up front. I think he put 80% down cash. Here's the money. Now he did have it being able to see it, but it wasn't written, you know, to a company or anything else. What do you think of that scenario? I mean, you well, and I talked about it earlier. That's not just a red flag. That's a yellow warning flag, two red flags, and a checkered flag, all, <laughs> all in one shot. So that usually characterizes the underground operators. They ask for an inordinate amount up front in cash, and then what happens? So what if they don't come? Where, yeah, where's your recourse? Where's your recourse? So I watched him suffer through this entire thing for months. At one point, he's begging the person to come back. The guy said, okay, give me more money. So he gave him more money. He basically drove the truck by, waved, and kept going. You know, there was nothing done. And then he had to have somebody else come back to try to clean it up. But he almost repeated the same incident. And something that if he had dealt with a professional company that had done it right, might have charged him, let's say, twelve to 14000 And he now is cashed in at 20000 and he's just going to get it done. And how many times do we hear that? And at the end of the day, Todd, cheap is expensive. Repeat that because our listeners need to understand I'll what that means. I'll say it again. Yeah. Cheap is expensive. When you think you're getting the cheap price, at the end of the day, what happens if anything goes wrong? Yeah. So what happens if, the, you know, the contractor doesn't come back or look, there unexpected changes? Look, and he was left high and dry. The guy said, look, no, I've ordered from the suppliers. And so when he got me involved, I said, ask him for a receipt. Ask him for the purchase order to the supply company for the railing. And the guy wouldn't provide it for him. So he took off with his money and then he had to start all over again. And not only did he have to start over again, he had to start over with a mess. Which makes it twice as expensive. Now. <laughs> exactly. Because you have to deconstruct before you can reconstruct. Well, I've always told people, listen, if I have to clean up somebody else's mess, <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's going to cost you twice as much because I didn't make the, me the mess in the first place. Absolutely. And people need to realize that. It speaks to all the more reason to hire a professional renovator. And that's what... The Renomark renovators are. Renomark renovators are the professional renovators of build. Can you give us some contact numbers for people to reach out for? Is, there, is there a website? There's or? a website. Okay. There's the renomark.ca, and that's your list of professional renovators who are members of an industry association who pay 
not insignificant amounts of money to be members of the industry association because they get education, they're up on changes to the building codes, changes to municipal regulations. These are the professionals. These are the people who have the necessary insurance, your WSIB. This is your comfort zone. These are people who you know that you're going to get your job done. Excellent. Any last good advice you can give everybody? Go into it with your eyes open, plan, and hire a professional. And the professionals are found at renomark.ca. Excellent. John Carlo, thank you so much for joining me today. I the really pleasure appreciate was mine, Todd. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. That was John Carlo Silfitas, and he is from Build Renovator. He's the chair. And you know what? Some fabulous information. Huge, huge industry. If you're looking to find a professional, definitely go to renomark.ca. And there is a list of professionals there. You can find John Carlo there as well. One of the most important things you need to be concerned about is protecting yourselves. And when you deal with professionals, you that's the first step to protecting yourself. Making sure you have everything in writing is the next step. And again, do not over-deposit. In other words, keep your money in your pocket, make sure it's percentage draws, and your life's going to get a lot easier. So listen, you know what? It's interesting. The market is going to be an interesting year. You know, I know we're at the end of January, but we're going to keep our eyes on it. So remember, make sure you tune here News Talk 1010, Simply Real Estate, next Saturday at 4 p.m., and I'm going to have more about the market. I'll talk to you next week.